0: We know that an effective teacher can really change life. There's some research in America under the Leverage Leadership book where it looks at charter schools in America, which are not dissimilar to academies in England. And what it showed that if you put a child in front of an effective teacher three years in a row, the disadvantage gap closes. And that is an unbelievable bit of research for us.
1: And examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompanycom forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I am speaking with and learning from Hazel Pulley and Jonathan Smart. They are the CEO and deputy CEO of Excelsior Mat, a multi-academy trust that now has six primary schools in inner city Birmingham in its portfolio. When I met them a number of years ago, they had four schools and they had a desire to take tools which are commonly used by businesses and apply them to education and see what results they could get. They... They came across scaling up and they came to one of our workshops and became a client. And it's been an absolute pleasure to work with them over the last few years. They set themselves a goal of working out what they needed to do to attract two more schools to the mat. They declared their purpose around changing the lives of the children that they serve. And they had a BHAC to become world famous for innovation in education. And a few months ago, they sent me a note saying that they had achieved all the things they set out to do and to say thank you for my little help along the way. And so I wanted to get them on and use this opportunity to dig into, here is any organization, if you think about this, this organization, they have not raised their salaries they are unable to raise salaries. The teachers that they that work in their schools are part of the government's national pay structure. So if they wish to change their organization, go through radical transformation, change the culture, improve the percentage of A players, drive staff engagement, roll out a purpose, roll out core values and behaviors, and improve the education, delivery, and the life chances of the children in their schools, they can't pay anybody any more money. And so I think if you thought about the businesses that you're running and you said, God, if I fancy, fancy being able to achieve all this with that massive lever that has disappeared. In fact, they do have some staff turnover, but it's less than 10%. So they basically had to create a plan, execute their plan without changing the team. And, you know, we work with some clients who might change 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or over time, maybe even 60% of their team. And so that changing the team is a huge lever that many businesses pull. But Hazel and Jonathan and their team have been able to pull off some astounding results without changing any of the team. So it's all about, I think, culture and leadership. And so really, this is a podcast about the leadership that they have shown, some of the decisions they have made, some of the tools that they have found really helpful. And I think we can all learn from them because actually they did it from a business perspective with one hand tied behind their back. So great conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.
2: Hi, I'm Hazel Pulley. I'm the CEO of Excelsior Multi-Academy Trust in Birmingham.
0: And I'm Jonathan Smart. I'm the Deputy CEO of Excelsior Multi-Academy Trust in Birmingham.
1: And what does a multi-academy trust do?
2: Well, it's a group of schools that have decided to become an academy. When you decide to become an academy, you receive your funding directly from London it sort of hops over the local authority and you receive the full amount rather than the authority keeping some money back, understandably, that they need to run the schools and support them in the city. So as a multi-academy trust, You're really a small, you could say, local authority. You've got to provide everything for those schools. But it's really exciting because there's a moral purpose. And the moral purpose is that you share between you, enabling all the schools to rapidly improve and offer the pupils a fantastic offer in education. And how do you
1: compare yourselves? Because I guess the idea is that being centrally funded delivers better education per pound? So is it more efficient? How do you measure that? I mean, I'm I'm assuming that when academies were created, that was how do we we change the way we do education to make it more efficient or more effective?
0: I think from my point of view, Dom, the fact that we're in a group of schools that is together allows us to provide our own HR, our own finance support, our own operations support. And the efficiency comes in that we can deal with things so much quicker than it ever used to happen in a local authority. If you wanted to change someone's salary or there was an error in salary or you wanted to change someone's contract, it used to take months through the local authority because obviously they're dealing with a huge number of schools, whereas we've got a small number of schools and can do that incredibly quickly. So there's a lot of efficiency in that.
2: There is, and that's the the sort of, I would say, the admin side, but the exciting bit, which is a bit that Jonathan and I spin all the time, is how can we create an exciting playbook, as I would say, amongst the schools that we have that show and use proven methods, pedagogy, techniques in education that can really get that high level of pupil outcome. And because you're dealing with less schools to begin with, and creating that purpose and clear direction in your playbook, it it happens more effectively. And you've got once you've got the talent there that we are recruiting hotly, you can really have that at a fast pace. So it is the admin side of it; it is all the getting the payroll done quickly and the HR needs, but it's also a very exciting side on educational thinking. And
1: it's interesting because there's some themes in there that I want to go back to, you know, that your pay and conditions are the same as local authority schools. Correct. Yeah. So when you say attracting and retaining talent, it, you, it's not, you're not paying anybody any more money, but you are attracting and retaining top talent. I want to, I just wanted to capture that and come back to that. But before we do dive into that, I, how, how did we end up working together? Like what was, how did you end up deciding you wanted to try and apply some business thinking in the schools? And how did we end up? Working together?
2: Well, it's interesting how we found you. Thank goodness we did. My daughter was working in a company at the time where investors had come in and handed out, in a vast amount, the Scaling Up book by Vern Harnish. And she said, Hey, mum, you need to read this. It's right up your street. So I picked it up and I started reading it. It was such a change. It opened my eyes and thought, This is what I need. I'm not a head teacher anymore. I'm running a small business and I want to do it well. How do I grow? So our chief operating officer looked into it straight away. She found that you were doing one of your taster days. Come down to the farm and see what you think. So we sent her out as the scout. She got in the car on the way back. She rang me and said, we're doing this. We've got to do this. Hazel, you'll love it. And that's it. Meeting you, reading the book, sending the scout out it was perfect. We were on our way. Fab.
1: And I remember the first time we got together, we were coming up with your three-year plan. It was four years ago, I think, since we started, because you sent me a lovely note at the end of three years saying where you'd got to. And from memory, you were four schools with a plan to be six. And where are you now?
2: Well, we achieved our three-year Hairy audacious goal by welcoming two more schools into the trust. So we went to six, and now we're on to our next three-year hairy audacious goal, and we're looking to welcome in four more. But already we've had a school this week where the governing body unanimously voted to come and join us. So we are six, moving to seven, and. It's it's gaining pace. And
1: when the governing body voted for you unanimously this week, congratulations, what are they hoping to achieve?
2: Better outcomes, not just in the sense of attainment, but a, a rounded involvement with a trust that holds equality very high in the vision across all our schools.
1: And your large number of the schools are inner city deprived Birmingham.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not English as a first language in many cases at home. Is this later school similar in that regard?
0: Yeah, very similar. It's not in Birmingham though, it's crossed the border over to Dudley.
1: Oh, yeah, miles away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a interesting little change. But yes, yeah, so yeah, no, very similar. It's a very similar catchment to our existing schools. And I think just to build on what Hazel just said and your question around what are they hoping to gain, I would say uh, totally echo what Hazel's saying. I think they're looking for more support for a school than the local authority could give them. So we can give that support in all the areas that they need to rapidly improve the outcomes for children in that school and the and the chances that the life chances of their children.
1: And of the sort of schools five and six, what if you look back now, because that must be what, a year or two ago that you went from four to five and five to six, what thinking about this seventh school, you must have a quite a good idea now how quickly you think those outcomes might improve and, and what what sort of things are you measuring?
0: In terms of the two schools that have just joined us on, they, in, in, legally they only joined us since sort of October, November 2022 because it takes a long time for that process to happen. There's a lot of due diligence goes on and tuping and of contracts, etc. However, what we have seen is immediate impact on quality of opportunity. We do need to make sure that we've got top talent in those schools we need an effective teacher in front of every child to make sure that the children's outcomes are where they need to be but obviously that takes time to get that in place what I would say the two new schools have seen are a huge difference in the push of high expectations and also a, a massive change in the opportunity in terms of some of the infrastructure some of the teaching methods that we use that weren't there in the start and I think what that's helped us to do is bringing two schools in one go, virtually in one go, is really know how that induction process should work for us to take a new school on. I think that's been a big learning curve and a big process for us. But I think that the the actual outcomes as in measured by the government at the end of the year will come later once we've got all the, all the necessary systems processes, staffing in place to do that.
1: And have they also had an upgrade of their coffee facilities in the staff room?
0: They certainly have. Yeah, we do put a new coffee machine into all of our schools when we get there. And the, and the staff absolutely love it. It was revolutionary for them in one of the schools.
1: And the other thing, Jonathan, that you and I've talked about in the past is you've done, in your schools, you've looked at, you talked there about children outcomes and quality of teaching. You've done quite a lot of work looking what difference a teacher can make.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think, because I think we believe in the, in the trust that outstanding teaching changes lives. And we also know the power of an effective teacher you you, you yourself don will have a vision of a teacher that you loved at school maybe one two i don't know who and i think when you look back at your time if we did that conversation with 100 people they'd come out with fairly similar similar things about why they love that teacher and i think that helps us to make sure that we're doing the right things for our children because we know that an effective teacher can really change life there's some research in america under the Leverage leadership book where it looks at charter schools in America, which are not dissimilar to academies in England. And what it showed that if you put a child in front of an effective teacher three years in a row, the disadvantage gap closes. And that is an unbelievable bit of research for us and something that we are absolutely aspiring to do. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the reach and the impact of a teacher is phenomenal. A good teacher, an effective teacher.
1: And you talked there a bit about putting in new ways of teaching. So, and Hazel said at the beginning that staff turnover is pretty low. So, you're not wholesale replacing the teachers that are in the school when you take the school on. You're getting more from that existing talent.
2: Absolutely. What we say when we first go and pitch for a school is that because it is a fear. When a trust is welcoming or about to encourage a school to join them, that really they're going to remove everything and put in new. Because that is actually what did happen to begin with. It was called architectural leadership, where they would just flatten the school and then build it up again. And then this super head would move on after three years. It was dire, the impact on morale. So we say right from the beginning, we've got high expectation, but there'll be high support from a low threat threshold and that really is what we do and at the same time we're talent spotting so as soon as a school is welcomed in we offer opportunity for people who really want to grasp this opportunity we're giving in learning new ways of teaching and learning to get involved with research is then that we'll say right and then we will look and see what grows from within and we've proven records of this happening in one school our first school to come in I went along and they were short of a head teacher so I rolled up my sleeves said come on I'll join I'll be the head teacher for a short while whilst we sort this out what a great way because I actually worked and found the talent was there it was just the paucity that they'd had before had really dumbed down opportunity and the growth was nil. So if, if you put in, it's a bit like an exciting catalyst that here are the opportunities, let's grow. I was just talking to our facilities lead just before we came on. And I was asking him, I said, hey, why, why, why are you so happy at Excelsior? Because I know he is. He said, I started as a part-time site manager. And look at me now, Hazel. I'm the lead for all the facility operations right across the map. And do you know what this guy's just done? He was working with our operations officer. It was amazing. They've just got us a rebuild for a school in the latest tranche from DfE. How often do you hear a school being rebuilt? But this guy did it. That is just amazing.
1: And that will have made his day, made his year.
2: It did, and it made out as well. Yeah, it was tremendous.
1: I want to dive into some of the tools that you've found useful. But before that, as you were talking, one of the things about budgets occurred to me, which is when we were doing some work about your KPIs early on, you identified a key KPI, which was zero non-attendance. What do you call it? Truancy. Or non- maybe you call it non-attendance.
2: Persistent absence, maybe as well, or yeah.
1: And so I remember we had that conversation pre-COVID when everybody was in school or would be expected to be in school. And one of the things that you'd said is that, you you know, you went out and visited people to find out why it was that they weren't coming to school. And then, you know, I was just blown away when we were chatting through COVID and you said, look, we're now at remotely, everything's remote, but not all of our children have got, because of their circumstances, have got access to laptops So we've dug into the budget and we've bought one for everybody. And that means we can go back to our key metric, which is persistent absence. And when people aren't online, we're going to go back to visiting them. And, you know, I just, I just thought that that was, it was just a fabulous way in which the key metric lived through changing circumstances and that, you know, that sort of North star can just drive behavior and tactics.
2: Uh, Absolutely. And it was powerful and it was expensive. But it had a real key message. And now what we do, the children are back. It's absolutely amazing. So we sort of use that because really what it was saying is we value your learning so much. We're going to give you the tools to do it. So now we've got them into school. How are we using that? So what we do now is if a child is off ill during the week, the class teacher has the opportunity to ring up the child themselves with the parent. And in many cases, the persistent absence level is really reducing because of this real intrinsic approach, not just to the parent, it has to go to the child and it needs to be the class teacher.
1: I had Tom Peters on the podcast recently and we were chatting about education and he said to me, there's a piece of research that says if nothing else changes, if the only thing the teacher does differently is stand at the door of the classroom, and shakes the hand of every child on the way in and says, hello, welcome to the class, then attainment goes up. And that you're, you've, got, you've had exactly that same, if there's a personal connection between the pupils and the teacher, attainment goes up.
0: You're right. That, that is a really interesting bit of research. By welcoming the children at the door, knowing something about them, saying, hello, Johnny, how was football yesterday, or whatever it is, that creates a huge amount of buy-in from those children and and that just helps it's so easy when you've got a great relationship with the children because they will walk through walls for you
2: but isn't that that links jonathan does it to our core purpose because our core purpose is that we want children to come to school we want them to learn but in that in there we say we want them to come and feel included and valued neither will work without the other and it's so hot i think our core purpose
0: And we've got two purposes. We've got one for the pupils, which is what Hazel just said, but we've got a very similar one for the staff, which actually was roughly taken from Gary Ridge at WD40 Company. It's that wake up, go to work, contribute to something bigger than themselves, feel safe and valued when they get there, and then go home fulfilled and happy. And so we've got both purposes running at the same time, and I think that is crucial as
1: well. Fab. I'll come back to that. I want to ask you about Friday Pulse and measuring staff engagement. But just in terms of the journey, going back, Hazel, you said earlier when we were chatting before we were recording, you thought some of the tools were really transformational to the map.
2: They were. They were absolute. To me, it's the attribution framework. I love it. And we did it, well, four years ago as we started off. And we looked at the local trusts in the area. We really interrogated. We chose our attributes. And we looked at the trust and found out what they were doing. We were looking for what you kept pushing us for. Where's the white space? Where can you move into to really shine and glow and encourage schools to to join you in your hunger for growth? And it was transformational because it gave us our three differentiators, which now lead our swim lanes. And uh, it was employer of choice, reputation and innovation. And then we did it again at the end of our three years. We went back. We more people on our team. We'd been investing to grow in our core team. And we did it again with some new people. And we found some more space. So we've got innovation, reputation, but now we've brought in high grade because we're really into this high grade A player. And it, it's leading our growth now. So attribution framework I thought was great. But core net promoter score, that's really great. Jonathan, you've got some some scores on that, haven't you? We love that one.
0: Yeah, we decided we needed to look at our Net Promoter score. I don't think we did it exactly as other people do it, but we did ask about people about, you know, recommendation. Would you recommend the school? And we asked an interesting question, and I think we talked about this, Dom. Would you be happy for your child to come to the school in which you're working? Because when I was a head teacher and now in my job, as I'm doing now, I always say, if one of our schools is good enough for my child, then it must be okay. It's doing a good job. So we asked our staff would they recommend the trust and would they be happy for their children to be in the school we so we got a net promoter score of 87 using that metric which is fantastic cuz looking at the the range of net promoter score that's on the, the very high side which we, we were I was a bit disappointed that we were beaten by Tesla but there we are you can't have everything but interestingly what the some of the staff misinterpreted the first question because what they were saying is they wouldn't want their child in the same school because they worked in there not because the school was good or bad. So I think we're going to, if we ask that again, we're going to have to change it slightly just to so we, we can narrow that in. But even so, I think that the outcome was the vast majority would say, yes, I'd love my child to go to, to one of our schools, which is a brilliant place for us to be.
1: And that's fair. I mean, that goes to your observations earlier about equality. What's the mix of your teaching staff? Do your teaching staff in any way mirror the the makeup of the where the school is, or
2: yes, I think that's really growing in in schools where there may be a, a community of many ethnic minorities. We're finding it's it's great that teachers are really coming forward now because they're becoming to be third generations, so we have got that growth. So that's really interesting.
1: Very good. So A players. I was with a client the other day who said he hates the term A player. But it it didn't disagree with it, the philosophy, but it was just the, in his mind, it links back to sort of Jack Welsh and Microsoft doing sort of forced, you know, what's the bottom 10% and cutting them out and you've only got 10% A players or 20% A players in your business. Whereas you guys have got the, you know, the way I think about it, which is that the aim is to get as many A players as you can, get on a journey towards 100%. Where do you think you were at the beginning and where do you think you are now?
0: I would say in terms of teachers, and I'll stick with teachers because because one of the exercises I do with the head teachers is is we look at the teaching staff and 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 we decide who A players are. We we, yeah, we have a good discussion about that. I would say we were somewhere in between ten to twenty percent, and I think now we're looking at more thirty to forty percent. And a lot of that's through recruitment, retain yeah retaining our great staff, but really putting much better high quality CPD in for them, continued professional development for them so that we can change our C's to B's, B's to A's. And that's really helped. But also when we are looking for new staff, making sure that we are employing A players, but also looking at employing for culture fit and making sure that those people fit, fit in with our culture. Because one of one of the things... I'm an avid listener of your podcast, as you know, and one of my favorites is Gary Ridge from WD40 Company and him talking about making sure that, you know, he employs the very best people. And I know the story he tells about his secretary that that I think you obviously dealt with, you know, and, and making sure that those people that he employs fit the culture of the organization because he can, we can we can teach teachers to teach, but we can't teach them to fit into the culture or we can teach anyone the job but we can't necessarily teach them to fit in with the culture and the vision and buy into what we're trying to do
1: yeah and that and particularly as you said earlier your aspirations around excellence you know that that in my experience is one of those things that either people have that aspiration or they don't and you know same reason why you know if you can't you b player managers don't end up hiring and developing a employees it must be the same for you you know a player teachers can get a play students but B player teachers, you know, the best probably do okay, but it's the children who are furthest adrift don't catch up if the teacher's not an A player. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that's our job. That's our job, isn't it, to try and recruit and retain our A players, but also put a lot of work into making sure that everyone we can make make into an A player is an A player.
2: And that's where our professional growth comes in. We don't do professional management or those, those sort of titles. We really go all the time for professional growth. So that your JD, conditions of service, that's a given. You you attain that. But it's what can you do above that? That's what we're going to really be monitoring. But it's easy just to say that. You've got to give the staff the opportunity. We've just recently appointed a research and development lead. And it's one of our staff. It's a deputy head who's on secondment to do this work. She's amazing. We've just put in an application to work with the Educational Endowment Fund and we, we think we've got round t- through two rounds now. We're just waiting to hear on the 27th whether we've attained some real opportunity for children's research to children's learning. But all our teachers have an opportunity to join in. Now, not many trusts will, will go to that effort. We look for the, the catalyst, the excitement that will, A, keep our staff but also give them that opportunity to grow.
1: And do you, one of the things that that sort of excitement, you use Friday Pulse, maybe you could say a few things about your experience of measuring staff happiness every week.
0: Yeah. So as part of joining in with yourself and, and you sort of introduced us to Friday Pulse, I've listened to Nick quite a few times on the podcast. I've listened to one of his over and over again because I find it so interesting. So we decided to go for Friday Pulse as a as a way of measuring employee engagement because we felt like that was really important to us but one of the things one of the reasons why we went with Friday pulse rather than some of the other engagement surveys was this this happiness element so it's like a happyometer rather than a just an engagement because I, th- I remember listening to Nick saying you can't really measure in- engagement it's quite a a difficult thing to measure but you can measure an emotion because everyone has an emotion so they can tell you whether they're happy or not whether they're engaged is much more difficult for them to talk about. So that's one of the reasons why we went with Friday Pulse. And we introduced that with a core team during lockdown and then rolled that out to all the schools. Now we've got two new schools. They've just joined on. And it's really interesting looking at the data last, this today, actually, because the results have come through today for last week. And our four original schools... We're really knocking it out of the park. You know, when we've got our benchmarking report, which, which pits us against everyone who does Friday Pulse in the UK, everyone who does Friday Pulse who's in education, and everyone who does Friday Pulse in, a, in an organizational employee size range. The last one we did before the two new schools, we were above everyone in every measure. So we were really proud of that. The two new schools, which have only been with us for two months, have obviously been added in and that has changed the figure slightly so you can for me all that shows is one we've got work to do in those schools but two how well we did with our original schools and the importance of culture and staff happiness because we do really buy into the fact that happy staff do a better job if you enjoy your job you're going to do a better job and I think it, it's Aristotle said pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work so yeah we Truly believe in that, and staff happiness for us has been a really crucial measure. And it's really helped us in the way that Friday Pulse works. It's really, yeah, we get some great data from it, but it also allows us to have those sometimes difficult conversations about why somebody's not happy and put it right for them. And that's been really crucial for us as well.
1: Well, I remember having the conversation with you while social distancing rules were in place, but the school was open. And you were able to look in the data because it's it slices and dice it by age and job title and whatever. And you were able to see that those first time teachers in their early twenties who lived on their own and the staff rooms were closed. They were on their own at home, coming in teaching a load of kids, going home on their own. And there was no social interaction with anybody else in the school. And you could see in that data that their happiness had not gone off a cliff, but definitely declined more rapidly than everybody else. And you were able to do do some intervention around around that group, because you could actually see that they that the changing work pattern was impacting them more than anybody else.
0: Yeah. And and what's interesting is that's changed now. So that's gone back up. So now they're back at work with the social interaction, with the with the chance to be with with each other. That's that's totally changed. They're not the lowest group at all.
1: Can you say who's there when you look at it now have you got a particular group or cohort that you go okay this is our plan for the next term
0: yeah it's it tends to be the 25 to 35 range in age which is interesting but no particular job role so no it's not that teachers are more unhappy than anyone else or tas or anything it, it's more about the age of the pe- the people which is really fascinating that that's the case so we've got to do we've got some work to do to look into that and see. What is it about that age range that, that's led to that result? The happiest are the people that have been with us longest, which is interesting.
1: That's good because sometimes you get, sometimes you do get sort of like a seven-year itch and you actually see that it can drop off over time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But as Hazel said earlier, our churn is very low. I think what the industry standard is, what, 10%, 20% I think is it in tech firms. Dom, I think you'd know more than me. It might be even higher, I don't know.
1: Uh, I think we're way under 10%.
2: Mm, six.
1: Is that okay? Or is that actually, is that too low?
2: Yes, good question. And we, we've questioned that ourselves. We're not too concerned about it at the moment. We've got 16 positions across the whole trust, either growth or a replacement at the moment. We're not too worried because within the trust, there's movement. Some people, staff will choose to go and work in another school. They like that because it might be near a home. Or it's an opportunity for them, so there is change within. Although they're not actually leaving.
1: And I remember when we first started working together, you were getting a small number of not very exciting applications for jobs. And one of the things that you did is you just—you once you'd created your sort of your purpose and your and your Hag and your core values, you just changed your job ads to say, "This is the type of company. This is the type of school we are." And I think from memory, you went from like. 30 to 300 for the next time you put a job ad out and you were just blown away.
2: It was. I think we rang you up and told you, gosh, you know, we've listened and and it's really worked because we so know what we're about. And we don't do fluff. We go tight metrics. we're, we're We're clear on our values, vision, direction, core purpose, who's the customer. You know, it's so clear now. Our adverts are really different. Like I just said, 95 people applying for receptionist position or already, 29 job uh, forms completed. But also going on from that, we asked you for help around recruitment. you remember we felt that we we were sort of sludgy in the sense of enjoying the interview? And we're much more dynamic in that. And I feel that we get the right people now. Not that I was saying that we were too, too bad about it, but we feel we really home into what is important and what fits into our one-page plan thinking and we're really picking up some fabulous personnel
1: fab what is it you know now that you wish you'd known earlier
2: for me it's being able to peel back the banana right to the core of do nothing if it isn't going to improve the outcomes for that that people even for one i'm that rigid on it
0: Yeah, I would say I wish I knew, one, that we should be looking at culture and intentionally designing it rather than just it being... When I was a head teacher in my own school, I knew that culture was important. I knew that relationships were important. But stumbling across through you again through the culture design canvas really crystallized my thinking around the need and the power of intentionally designing culture. So I wish I'd known that a bit earlier. And and sort of an add-on, but very much linked to that. I, I wish um, David Horsager had published his Eight Pillars of Trust Trusted Leader book a little bit earlier, and I and I, I could have really understood about trust and and the complexity of trust because I think the way he puts that across for me was was a bit of a game changer. And I'm always quoting from his book, and and all of our schools have done a culture canvas as well, which is which is amazing.
1: And how well the culture canvas? I know you you printed it out and you put it on the wall. made a poster out of it and are are the school's culture canvases similar
0: they are it's it's not a poster it's a it's a perspex 10 foot by six foot thing on the wall it's amazing they've all got them yeah they've all got one they all are similar in the fact that they've all we share the same values and purpose So they've got the company values on their board, but they are then different because we also recognize that each school is its own little microclimate. So, you know, they have to be and and plus also they don't work if we're handing down a a culture canvas to every school because that's not going to work because they haven't had part of it. So each school does it. They have to include every employee in the de- in the development and the design of that to make sure that there's an ownership for it and that's why they're all different for everything else on the culture canvas apart from the purpose and the and the values
1: fab i I, I have a similar approach when I'm working with the subsidiaries of overseas owned businesses often uk subs of North American businesses because the North American business will have its values and then it's okay well how do those values translate into behaviors in the uk business and you know how are we going to run meetings here and How are we going to build psychological safety? So, And as you say, then it's ownership because you've come up with it. Even if the thing is the same and the words are slightly different, it's it's theirs.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot of similarities. I think if you put them side by side, you wouldn't see much difference in, yeah, there'd be some word differences, but that'll be semantics more than anything else that you'll see a very big similarity, but they're owned by the people that are in that organization, which is why it's so powerful. They're not owned by top-down driven culture design. This is staff bottom up led which is absolutely important
1: you've mentioned a couple of books as we've been chatting what books have been important to you or that you think other people should that should read
2: well i enjoyed finding flow by chick sent because really it, it boils down to if you apply a high skill with a great deal of commitment you can be at your happiest and i find that is something that is really happening at excelsior especially in the core team and it's a really happy team, and boy, have we got some good skill! So it just back, but it's a great book to read. It's one of those life books, really, but you can apply it to any situation.
1: Jonathan, what did you think? Yeah, I've
0: got three. I've, I've the one I've mentioned already is Trusted Leader by David Horse. Yeah, I think that's a great book. I love the parable at the start. I love all the tools that he's provided at the back. I think that's been really good. I've worked through a lot of those with our head teachers around trust, and 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 I do believe in that everything can be pulled back to an, an issue in trust. So that, that's that been a fabulous book for me. Currently reading Lincoln on Leadership, which I think you, one of your guests mentioned a few weeks ago. It's a really interesting book about Abraham Lincoln and the way he won the Civil War and the leadership styles and skills that he used, which are very transferable to today, which which is, a, I haven't finished that yet, but I'm halfway through that. So that's a good one. And the other one, and I think this fellow will be a really good guest for you, is, is Belonging by Owen Eastwood. He is a, a coach, performance coach. He's worked with the England football team, South African cricket team. He's a New Zealander. And it talks about the power of being part of a team. It's based on a Maori word called wakapapa, waka which is uh, it really means human need for belonging, that we're all part of an unbroken and unbreakable chain of people who share the special culture. So he, he's got a Maori background. His ancestry is Maori. So he talks about, obviously, the, the, the All Blacks and... It's a fantastic book. I'm talking about the power of team and belonging. Really a great one for high-performing teams, and I've used quite a lot of things from that. And he'd be a great guest for you because he speaks brilliantly as well. He's, he's fabulous. It's a great book to read.
1: Fab. And where do you go from here? Your three-year goal is to get to how many schools? Ten?
2: Ten schools, yeah. Let's not forget our big, hairy, audacious goal is to be world-known for innovative education. So we've always got that one firing away at us. We're really into innovation. We, we listened to Ben So when you interviewed him on your podcast. and That was amazing. We did it as a team and then we've broken down into what innovation means for us. And it isn't really what you sometimes think. You know, it, it's finding the problem, isn't it, first of all? And listening to your customers and watching your customers finding out what it is that you really need to change and innovate. And that is just stunning. So we've got a lot of innovate, more innovation to do, although I think we're getting really good at it, and get that BHAG sorted.
1: I just vividly remember, you know, you guys came up with that, be world famous for innovation in education. And then Jonathan sort of said, we're four primary schools in Birmingham. That just sounds like we're getting way ahead of ourselves.
0: I'm I'm in, I'm on it right now, Dom. We're six schools, nearly seven. We're gonna do it. We're gonna take over the world, world domination.
1: But then you started your you started your newsletter during COVID to share tips about, you know, getting people back to school, and then all of a sudden you end up with a global newsletter of several thousand people a week and and you are now in your own, you know, own marketplace, world famous for innovation.
2: We we are. It's it's been tremendous, but there's there's just no stopping us. Agents of hope. It was called in those tough times, and that's just a, a phenomenon. It's over a oh I don't know it was fifteen hundred, if not more, and gratefully received. That was a success. Unbelievable.
1: Just quickly before we finish, your definition of a player. What does it look like in a school? Because you were talking there about flow and you know jonathan you said earlier you i'm sure you can remember at least one teacher you liked and i think there's a mckinsey study where if people are in a job in which their skills line up with the work they need to do and it brings them joy i think that flow thing is that is really where the a player comes from and you know if you if that lines up then you are five five or 10 times more productive in you're thinking about your schools and your teachers how much more impactful are A players than B players do you think what's your have you got any sense
2: i think that happiness as a core is transformational in a classroom when you've got a teacher who is in that state of this is great high skill i know what i'm doing the lesson absolutely flows and the learning is absolutely high grade top grade and the children are involved everybody That A player has encouraged every child to be there in the learning and to attain high. So it's tremendous, isn't it? It's the the top. It's happiness and relationship.
0: Yeah, the relationships, again, going back to what we said earlier, is crucial. I've got a, a vague memory, Dom, of you asking us about if we were setting a school up in Mars, who would we take?
1: Yes, to get to the values of the teachers that we wanted to clone.
0: And I think... Yeah, we looked at that in all positions and I, and I think we've certainly, we could take a lot more than we could four years ago and and I think those people that we would put on Mars, they're your A-players, definitely. And that is, as Hazel said, it's about relationships, their flow, their their joy of the job, which you can see all over their face, you can see in their lessons, you can see on the children's faces more importantly and the children's outcomes. It's it, it, There is a marked difference between an A-player teacher and, and somebody who's struggling, say for instance.
1: I mean, I, We've all been at school, so we all have a view and we all have an experience we can share. When I think back to the teachers that I didn't enjoy being taught by, the only thing that comes to mind always is I. It just felt to me like they were doing a job and they didn't really want to be teachers, <laughs> and they didn't really like children and they didn't really like education. And it was like, well, it just you know, my my sort of overarching feeling is that they were in they were probably good people just in completely the wrong completely the wrong jobs.
0: Yeah, maybe so. And I think when you think about it, it, it's I think children want to know that their teacher cares about them more than anything else. And once they get that feeling that the teacher cares about them and their life and their future, they buy in. And that's why that, that little study you mentioned earlier about welcoming them at the door and having some knowledge about each child in your class that's not just about school that they've got that they know what, what the mom and dad do, or they know that they play football, or they know they play the recorder, or whatever it is. That shows the children that teachers care. Once they feel cared about, they'll walk through walls.
1: Well, as you say that, I'm reminded of a piece of research that looked at UK officers, the soldiers' trust of their officers in Afghanistan. And they one of the criteria they drew out was care. If I thought my officer cared about me, then that was the predictor of trust. And so it's not just true in children. It- oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, no, it's that servant leadership, isn't it? You know, from a leadership point of view, servant leadership, you know, we're here as custodians of a role, for we're playing the long game as Simon Sinek would say the you know the the long game the infinite game not the finite game and and it's we're just custodians of a role at the moment trying to yeah you know, to to leave the place better than than when we we're in it so for somebody else to take it on and and I think we want all of our leaders all of our head teachers and us ourselves myself and Hazel there we care about our staff we want our head teachers to care about our staff because it works exactly the same way for adults as children you're absolutely right
1: well Hazel and Jonathan, thank you for coming on. Wish you all the best. And as ever, if there's anything you need, please get in touch. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did.